This episode is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash RFR for your free audiobook download. A small rebel force has penetrated the shield and landed on Endor. This is where the fun begins. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. All right, brothers and sisters in the Force, Rebel Force Radio is back. Great to be with you. Following my whirlwind trip out to the Windy City in Chicago to spend some time with my man Jimmy Mack. Back, though, firmly ensconced in the cockpit here, the Palatial Rebel Force Radio Studios. This week's show for Friday, August 23rd, 2013. Three short days away from my birthday. Hey! Yeah! Birthday boy. Birthday boy. You know what I did? I just bought myself a present. Here's the hitch, though. It is not supposed to ship until June 2014. I got to tell you about this thing. Uh, but first, uh, introductions in order. My name is Jason, if you're joining us for the first time. And with me, of course, my good friend and yours from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. Glad to be back in the saddle again for Rebel Force Radio, Star Wars Talk. We are the most optimistic, positive, influential, and upbeat Star Wars radio show in the galaxy. There's no question about it. And it got extra upbeat last weekend, Jason. As you said, you were out here in Chicago for Wizard World, and we had a blast. I already miss you and uh, our good friend, filmmaker Sheldon Norton. Heck, I even miss Chris Spice from Sandtroopers.com. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> I mean, we had so much fun. John Heater. It was just a great yeah. weekend. And uh, to fill the void, this weekend we have another visit to the Rebel Force Radio Chicago Annex, and that is our good friend. You heard him last week giving us an update from the D23 convention, uh, the Disney Fest, if you will. He is the station manager at Sorcerer Radio, co-host of WDW Tiki Room and WDW After Dark, Al John Go. What up, guys? Hey, I, up, felt like I, I felt like I was right there. With you all during that coverage, and I absolutely love it. But you were at D23. Yes. And something you didn't really talk about on your coverage was when, I believe it was Alan Horn. Yes. Who was talking about future Star Wars films coming from Disney. The, the room kind of felt deflated. Star Wars fans were... They felt ripped off. We yeah. thought we'd get a lot more info out of that convention. And this is, after all, a convention that only happens every other year. So the next time D23 is going to roll around, it could be after Episode 7 is actually released. So this would have been the time for Alan Horn to get up on stage and give us some big news, give us some big reveals. And he really didn't. And what you didn't talk about in your report was that audience reaction. Was there a feeling of disappointment in the room? And did people actually boo? Yes. 
They did. Yeah, it was. Yes, talk about being deflated. You know, we it was standing room only. There was another section they opened up. Everyone was ready. And like I said in the report, uh, guys, it said revealing looks into Disney animation, live action, Lucasfilm, and Marvel. Revealing looks. That's what's. That's what you know had everyone you know just ready and raring to go of course as you guys say you know there was nothing at comic-con there was nothing you know uh, there was no other coverage going on uh no further details and then when all of a sudden darth vader popped on screen and alan horn who's the the chief of walt disney studios started speaking about everybody was like oh hell yeah here comes (laughs) mark hamill and carrie fisher and harrison are all in the back we're ready to get it going and everybody literally was at attention, and you know what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. All of a sudden, it just went just like Obi Wan just uh-huh. releasing, <laughs> the, releasing the tractor beam on the Millennium Falcon. It's one, <laughs> and everybody was like, uh, there was audible groans and boos and every because when let me tell you. When Alan Horn came out uh, and, and started, and they flashed a Lucasfilm logo as part of the Disney brands, everybody erupted. And everybody erupted when they heard the music and when they heard the teaser reel, the sizzle reel that came out, which had basically just every little little clip of the films and, and the great John Williams score. And just to hear, oh, now we're not prepared to give away any information now on Star Wars Episode Seven, but I can tell you this, that there will be this and these people involved and blah, 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 and blah, 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 blah. And there will be every other you know year there will be X amount of movies and standalone films. And like, oh, everybody was like, I heard this before. Uh, it was all yes. just regurgitation of the same old, same old. Yes. So, the, so the crowd was like... <laughs> that is the Star Wars equivalent of the gong show. <laughs> Sucking all the energy out of the room. All the energy was sucked out. It was just yeah. absolutely horrid. It was abysmal. And I, I felt ripped off. A lot of people felt ripped off. Yeah, that didn't come across in my report last week because, uh, you know, it, it, we tried it. And like you said, we're optimistic, right? We're trying to be optimistic, right. you know. But once again, I, I think. Probably that has more to do with the fact that Bad Robot and J.J. Abrams really want to keep it tight-lipped. I think Disney wanted to do it, and Alan Horn wanted to say, give us something. But J.J. was like, nope, nope, not ready, not ready, not ready to do it. And you guys went on a, you know, last week's dissertation about all that, all that good and holy stuff that he's kind of holding back. And I'm hoping that we're going to get something you know, sooner than later instead of like a month before a celebration then all of a sudden, bam, here comes a movie then bam, there's D23 and we're going to talk about the next film that's going to be coming up Uh, you know, it was a letdown you know I think we'll start hearing about casting close to Thanksgiving time Right. I don't think they want to make any casting announcements right now until they have the big three locked and loaded Mark, Harrison, and Carrie and one of them or more could be holding out right now because they recognize that this is it. This yeah. is the big payday. This is what, you know, all that work they did back in the 70s and 80s on this thing is now finally coming around. Because let's face it, a guy like Mark Hamill was denied a lot of work because of his huge success with Star Wars. You know, it's there's something not fair about that. So right. if, 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 if you were Mark Hamill, you would be sitting out for the ultimate payday. 
to Absolutely. come back that, that, as Luke Skywalker. It's funny that you you, you say that, Jim, because and, and it is true. I mean, there's there's no there's no denying the fact that Mark was, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, typecast. But and I, I'll get a nice plug in here for the latest issue of uh, the Star Wars Insider magazine. There's a fabulous interview with Mark Hamill in here, and I want to um, read you uh, one of his answers to that very question. And um, if you haven't picked this up, this is the special commemorative Return of the Jedi issue. And um, it features a lot of really, really cool stuff, including some uh, photos that you'll see or won't see, rather, in the new uh, making of Return of the Jedi book by uh, J.W. Rensler. But in this interview, Mark Hamill talks a little bit about that whole uh, issue of being typecast. And his response is very, very interesting. He says, and I think I have it right here. This issue of Star Wars Insider, also guest edited by Warwick Davis himself, August, September 2013 issue of Star Wars Insider. And uh, yeah, it's a really good one. Great black Here, and white photo. Love that cover. It's so yeah. cool. Yeah, really sure. Oh, um, you know, really me too. Cool. Me too. Um, he says, um, oh, oh, they, they, this came about when they were asking about working with special effects and he says, you know, he really didn't have a problem. He says, I used to play in the backyard as Zorro or Robin Hood or Sinbad battling skeletons in my mind. This was all the stuff I loved. To this day, I'm grateful to all those things that I really loved as a child, whether it's comic books or movies or television or comic strips or puppets. And this is where it gets interesting. He says, I can't put into words how grateful I am for the career I've had. People say, oh, it must be terrible. You're so associated with that one thing that you can't be thought of in any other way. I guess there are elements to that but they're so outweighed by the positives. So, but at the same time, you're not wrong if you think about the fact that these guys know that they really can't make this film. They can make Star Wars, but they can't make Episode Seven without them. And so, yeah, I wouldn't blame one or two or three or all of them for holding out a little bit. Disney's got the money. Come on, guys. Get off the stick. You know, it'd be interesting to know. I mean, they might have thought, hey, we can, you know, we'll get, we get Harrison Ford in there, and then we can pick up the others uh, for a song. And I, I'm, I'm wondering if that may not be the case. Uh, Al John, y- you seem to um, be thinking that J.J. and Big, Big Robot or whatever, Shiny Robot or whatever it is, they are calling the shots here. And I don't know. I, I, of course, you're more... You know, you know more about the the Disney corporate culture than I do, but I actually just think that um, the cynic in me thinks there's nothing to say yet. <laughs> to I, be honest with you, I think there's a lot of truth to that too. And I think the other segment of that equation is if they don't feel comfortable showing any previs or anything like that, or, or any type of uh, you know maquettes, as as we love talking about. On their shows, oh, yeah. the maquettes or any of the concept art, they really just uh-huh. don't want to let any of that that secrecy go. And I don't, but I do think that maybe JJ has has a lot to do with it because I almost think that why why would it why would it then be part of of that whole uh, you know presentation at that point? You know, if they hadn't had prepared something, and maybe once again, it's just a matter of maybe an actor just stalling for a negotiation tactic. It very well could be. So, so your your working theory here is that they had something to share. 
I think so. They went into this with something in mind, and perhaps the plug got pulled at the last minute. Yeah, I think yep. so. And that that that's not the first time that that's happened. So no, this this is very much an echo of a lot of the comments we heard following the closing ceremonies at Star Wars Celebration Six, where people were expecting some huge announcements. A lot of people were speculating about seven, eight, nine at that point, and it just didn't happen. And so uh, fans walked out of there a little bit upset too. Yeah, there was there the last D twenty three expo a few years ago. There was supposed to be a huge announcement that James Cameron was going to be working with the Disney company and bring about a new direction or new attractions to the theme parks. Yeah, and it didn't happen. And reason being, I believe, was it was a contractual thing. And they were still working it out, and they didn't announce it until several weeks after the expo. And I believe that was the one of the big announcements. It's not the first time. So yeah. I think a lot of that has to do with just contracts, perhaps, and things that weren't ready uh, you know, by the time by the time it was a uh, convention time. So I think that a company like Disney, you know they they are obviously they're very familiar with the PR game and and they, they I can't see them needing to. Uh, do the old bait and switch and and promise something that they that they don't come through with and so the fact that they did play up Lucasfilm as one of the brands that would be um, updated on at the event leads me to believe that uh, you might be right maybe they did have something or they had part of something that they were gonna. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, well, make no mistake. I have no. I, I, I'm only speculating here. So uh, yeah. once again, just don't feel. You know, just don't send me any hate mail or anything. You're not. You're not holding back. In other words, I'm not holding back. Yeah, this right, is just right. what I've heard. And I, right. you know, and of course, the other side of the coin is the fact that they hinted at a bigger Star Wars presence at their theme parks. It's something that we've heard about, you know, since the acquisition. And we, we, we do now know that Imagineers are working on a big attraction. What do you think that? Tomorrowland is going to finally get rehabbed and turned into something that has a very heavy Star Wars presence. Well, I don't think it's going to be Tomorrowland. It's going to be at Walt Disney World in, in Florida that's going to be rehabbed, uh, although that may be in the cards. I know that Tomorrowland in Disneyland in Anaheim is slated for a rehab, and I understand that that's going to be more Marvel because of the contract that Disney, uh, that Universal Studios in Orlando has. Uh, with Walt Disney World, they can't have Marvel characters at Walt Disney World at this time. What? Yeah. Why is that? Because of the licensing. Right now, the Marvel characters are licensed in Orlando at the Universal Resort, and they cannot oh. go into the theme park. So sure. even though they can promote the Avengers on the Epcot Loop, which mm-hmm. doesn't hit the Magic Kingdom, it's outside. Uh, you know, it's a it's a crazy thing. So that is why the Marvel characters are being put in. Disneyland Resort and over there in Tomorrowland, which is getting ready, from what I understand, to be rehabbed. But then Orlando will have a major work uh, overhaul with Disney Hollywood Studios, where, where, of course, Star Wars Weekends happens. My insider information says that it's going to – they're going to expand the – in the Indiana Jones area, the Echo Lake area is going to be, you know, fixed up. That the Jedi Training Academy will move into what is that Drew Carey attraction sounds dangerous, and that there will be a new attraction there called Jedi Scooter. Jedi Scooter. Jedi Scooter, which is going to be an all ages attraction, which was hinted at at the Imagineering Pavilion, where all those crates, the magical crates that were were listed there, you know, with R two D two busting out and everything. 
they were all labeled Orange Harvest. Orange Harvest, right. right. And out of one of those crates had plans sticking out that specifically said, for all to see, Jedi Scooter. Right. So that leads me to believe, and a lot of other people, and was also very well hinted at by the Imagineers in developing that attraction, because we could all interview the Imagineers that were there. And and they pretty much said that uh, something, an attraction is coming. And so my understanding is Pixar Place will be expanding. They will be getting rid of a few attractions and adding on more Star Wars into that area. What does this mean for the Muppets? The Muppets might be finding a new home somewhere. The Muppets might be getting smoked because they're right around the corner from what where Star Tours currently is. Right. And we've also heard that they're going to be expanding the Star Wars presence out into the parking lot, which apparently is right on the other side of the Star Tours and uh, Muppet exhibits. That's right. That's right. And, you know, I believe that, you know, I I'd said this uh, on the radio so many times that I believe the Muppets really will do well if they have a live theater performance, just like the old Muppet Theater with actual puppeteers with doing real Muppets, with real yeah. Muppets. And, and, and that's where the whole interaction would come or into an interactive game. But having said that, Star Wars, more Star Wars, uh, a bigger attraction. I'm thinking Thrill Ride, some kind of really cool coaster, and, of course, Jedi Scooter, which is supposed to be, what my understanding is, like mini speeder bikes. It'd be speeder bikes. Right. Have you heard anything about a Moss Eisley Cantina environment? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, originally, the, 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 there's an eatery around there, like a Hollywood backlot uh, area, uh, that's filled with movie memorabilia. It's right next to Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. the epic stunt spectacular. And that was supposed to be Lucasfilm and have a whole bunch of stuff there from Lucasfilm, from Indy's clothes and stuff through the movies and, and basically a whole bunch of props that got scrapped. So apparently, my understanding, that's going to be the Mos Eisley Cantina right wow. there. Yeah. So, I mean, it's going to be great. You've got Tatooine Traders over there. You've got Star Tours and Mos Eisley Cantina. You've got the Jedi Scooter attraction, maybe a big thrill ride. And that whole section will be Star Wars out, you know, and it's going to be amazing. Would it be an actual bar? Because I know you can buy beer yeah. at the Hollywood Studios. Oh, yeah. Just like you guys were saying last week, you know, uh, Tatooine's like the Old West, right? It sure so is. So you got to go into the old saloon and pick yourself up some blue milk. <laughs> you know, Bantha milk, you know, with a shot of vodka. I mean, that's just right up my alley right there. So, yeah. And who wouldn't want to get blue milk, uh, you know, Aunt Beru's blue milk? Right. Right. Well, well, Jason's drinking it right now. Well, I know that's a case. Yeah. Yeah. Drinking it right. Hold on. There it is. There it is. <laughs> There's a sip. <laughs> he he's the Foster Brooks of Star Wars. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, it, 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 now that was very understated. You had to go in and you had to look. You had to go into the exhibit. You had to, if you were a Star Wars fan, that's exactly what you'd do. You'd go in. You knew Orange Harvest was there and... Sniffing mm-hmm. around for clues. There you go. It's just like watching a film. You're looking in the corners of every frame. That's right. When you're a Star Wars fan and, and you want to get as much information out of it as you can visually. So that's what you were doing while you were covering the D23 Expo. Right. And, and, and I tell you, I couldn't be happier. And, of course, once again, it's all speculation. They've been hinting about it. But, you know, Imagineers, that's what they do. They, yeah. they hint to the point where, you know, you, they are giving you a wink and a nod while they're doing it. And I'm really excited at the prospect of more Star Wars. Now, will there be more Star Wars in Anaheim? That's definitely a possibility. Uh, there are some places there that could use a refurb, you know. Um, but, you know, let's be honest. You know, um, 
the Star Wars is 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 so huge, and it's going to be huge and continue to be huge. And uh, I can't wait for uh, the next few years because I believe at that point when the film comes out, they will have solidified plans to share with everybody. Have you heard anything about the People Mover? in Tomorrowland being converted into a Star Wars-like attraction. Now, I did hear about that, uh, and that would be for the Disneyland, maybe the Disneyland Resort. Oh, specifically Disney. Um, because Disneyland right now, their their people mover, which turned into Rip Rockin', uh, Rip Roaring Rocket Ride or whatever it was at the time, it's not working. There's nothing going on over there right now. So it's definitely a possibility that it could go there. However... The People Mover is such a beloved attraction at Walt Disney World mm-hmm. that they would have a really hard time retheming that and having the the classic guests. You know, just like Star Wars fans, Disney fans are very vocal, so that's something that we all share. Mm-hmm. And having it change from the People Mover to something else would be different. But there are some attractions there in 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 Tomorrowland that maybe might get a, a Star Wars thing. But I do believe that if Disney was smart, which they are. They're going to refurb Hollywood Studios and give more of that presence so more people would go to those gates. They already have the new Fantasyland over mm-hmm. in Walt Disney World, uh, over in Magic Kingdom. So why not increase the attendance at, at one of their parks and bring in more of that Star Wars theming? I mean, Star Tours is already there, and it looks amazing. So yeah. why not? Right. And it sure seems like that's the direction they're going in. These have been very... Uh, loosely kept secrets, especially over the course of the last few months. So uh, what you're saying jives with a lot of the things we've been hearing, but you're also offering us some uh, great insider information that we hadn't heard before. So Yeah, I mean, losing, losing Echo Park and, and, uh, and having that cantina in there is going to be a huge boon to their business because, you know, Disney fans love to, to eat at those themed eateries, and, and who wouldn't want right. And that's something we've been wanting for a long time. Who doesn't want to have... Uh, you know, a beverage at the cantina. Yeah. I mean, that's that's. I wonder if the Bith Band will be taking requests. <laughs> Free bird, Free bird, Fish I just, couldn't, well, I just you, couldn't help but think that uh, what Jimmy really wants to do is climb into a life-sized Adat and drive it over to the imagine the crazy world of Harry Potter. Oh, and take out some muggles. I could see him doing that. Oh, happen. listen, I'll tell you what. Star Wars fans who love Harry Potter would <laughs> would relish the opportunity even. <laughs> yeah, who wouldn't want to do that? I mean, you know, it just takes a few screws, right? You just go into the Star Tours. And you get just that. see, like, the little kids, like, looking out the window at Hogwarts, and here comes, <laughs> here comes an exactly. at Oh, dear. Is that an at-at? <laughs> we must run. Yeah. Quick. Whoosh. At Atticus Erasist. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, what, what, what they, they cast a spell, right? Yeah, exactly right. Like, yeah, meanwhile, it'd be like, yeah, eat laser punks. Exactly. Who needs a wand when you've got the force? That's all I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, right. That's all I'm saying. But, you know, it's, it, it is an exciting time to kind of speculate, you know, and, and that's what we're here to do. So, uh, you know, more stuff yeah. for the Disney parks, which is great. Unfortunately, no news for the films, but uh, wow. Yeah. Well, we've got you the whole show, Al John. I'm really excited about that. We've got more sequel rumors, plus a few more audio highlights from Celebration Europe, and we're going to try to get to your listener feedback. Uh, but in the meantime, we have a very special uh, musical treat for you all. And, uh, Jim, for the life of me, I cannot recall whether I put the challenge to you on the air or if we talked about this off the air. No, I think this was in my backyard over cigars. Yeah. And um, we just were discussing the coverage that came out of Star Wars Celebration Europe, specifically the great press conference that David Collins hosted 
on opening night. It featured all the actors who were in Return of the Jedi who happened to be in attendance, at least all the main ones. Seven of them, as a matter of fact, I believe. And we were discussing Peter Mayhew and his presence on stage and some of the stories he was talking about. And attending these conventions for Peter Mayhew is a very large man. And with that height and size comes a bit of a handicap from time to time, dealing with things that are designed for average-sized hands, okay? Because Peter's got the mitts. He's got the, he's got the big gloves, you know? Mm-hmm. So he uh, talked about something that he fears having to sign at conventions like Star Wars Celebration. So we have a highlighted clip of that, Jason. Every celebration, I've got one pet hate about signing things. And especially the little Pez dispensers, which <laughs> are that big. You've got hands that are that big. You have problems. But fortunately, I've developed a technique where I put Chewie on one foot and Peter Mayhew on the other. And most people are pretty happy with that. So that was, you know, that was my first nightmare when someone came up and said, I want this signed. I went, oh, dear. (laughs) Oh, dear. I mean, it would be like imagining someone handing you a thumbtack and saying, please sign this for me. Or a (laughs) tic-tac. A tic-tac. Perfect. So um, we were talking about that. We were talking about Peter's delivery and his personality and his presence (laughs) at events like this. And we thought to ourselves, wouldn't it be interesting if we songified Peter Mayhew. That's right. Songified. <laughs> Al John is shaking his oh, head no. Uh, oh, my. <laughs> so um, well, he's, he's almost sing-songy without the, the songify in his delivery. <laughs> I love his voice. There's this cadence that yes. Peter has that is uniquely his own. And so we thought, well, let's run it through the magical app that you can get for your iPhone that takes any spoken word and turns it into a musical composition right al john you're familiar with the song if i i I am and this is going to be radio gold so i can't wait to hear it (laughs) now i've heard so many things over the years songified and i played around with the app a little bit but i realized the company that produces the songify app also produces another app called auto rap have you heard of that one no got it it on my tablet (laughs) so i'm new to this Wait, we're gonna be rapping with peter we took it up a notch, and uh, we created the new hit from Peter Mayhew, simply called The Pez Dispensers, put to rap. Oh, 
with Pez dispensers. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. We, and we thought Chris Lee had talent. Nothing like uh, Peter Mayhew. Chris Lee may be the king of uh, death metal, but Peter Mayhew is the king of freestyle. This may be the best one yet. <laughs> well, you know, Jason threw out the challenge in the backyard, and yeah. I knew that if we put together something about Peter Mayhew's problems on the autograph circuit, that it would make a huge hit. <laughs> but this thing far surpassed my expectations. My God, it's like 99 problems, but a Wookiee ain't one. <laughs> That's amazing. That is radio gold. The Pez Spencers. Peter Mayhew. That's fantastic. Wookiee on Auto Tune, too. That was really good. Yeah, that was cool. An Auto Tune Wookiee. Let's do a Wookiee rap for next week. The Wookiee rap. The the Wookiee rap for next week. That's coming. So that was fantastic. And something else we discovered in my backyard last weekend Michael Mack, my son, my 14 year old, who you know, Al John, uh, uh, he's a very creative kid. And he loves to entertain. He just wants to entertain. It's all about the people. And uh, he came out in the backyard and started doing this hilarious Gilbert Gottfried impersonation. And uh, me and Jason and Sheldon were eating it up. Right, Jay? Oh, it was fantastic. So we were throwing requests at him left and right. And we thought, well, wouldn't it be great if you took some classic Obi-Wan Kenobi lines and... I mean, just to imagine, you know, should Gilbert Godfrey, because this could actually happen. Ewan McGregor might be the obvious choice to bring back into the sequels. And we'll get into that a little bit more as the show goes on. But uh, should Ewan say no? I mean, really, is Gilbert Godfrey like that ridiculous of a choice? I don't know. When you, when you hear Michael Mack performing as Gilbert Godfrey, saying that the, the classic Obi-Wan Kenobi lines from the films... You might reconsider your stance. Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's a name I haven't heard in a long time. A long time. Boss Eisley Spaceport. You will never find a more wretched hive of scum and or villainy. The force surrounds us, penetrates us, gives us the power to do zimzams. Not as clumsy or as random as a blaster. That's no moon, that's a space station. And that's not good. (laughs) The Force will be with you. Always. Oh. I'd line up for that standalone film right there. Just a one-man show. That's it. I was going to say you're standing alone for Disney voice acting because Gilbert Gottfried's out of a job. They need to bring back Yago at some point in a Disney film and, or a video game. Get Michael Mack out there. That's the uh, parrot from Aladdin. That's right. right. Aladdin. You guys uh, probably won't believe this being the uh, ages you are, but uh, I've never seen Aladdin. What? Yeah, I've never seen it. Oh, my. When I grew up as a kid, Disney animation was nothing. That's right. There was nothing there. In the 70s and 80s, what was Disney doing? They weren't doing classic animation. No, they were doing the Black Hole. That's what they were doing. Black Hole? Black Cauldron. That's what they were doing. Black Cauldron, right. The the Rescuers. The Rescuers Down Under. That's what they were doing. Herbie the Love Bug. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah. but but, Escape to Space Mountain. Well, I tell you, you know, that was a dark, that was the dark time. There, there was no animation going on. At Disney. Well, you know, early Michael Eisner, you know, he was he was 
doing some interesting things back in the day. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, but uh, late 80s, early 90s, you saw a renaissance in the... Uh, I've never seen Lion King. What? Yeah. I've never seen Lion King. Okay. We're I gonna... just missed it. It wasn't part of my childhood. Well, we're going to have to uh, educate you on those films. Um, Probably no. picked up the slack around Toy Story time. Well, that, that's a good time to pick up. Yeah. I, I haven't watched Toy Story 3 yet because everyone says it makes you cry when you watch it. I don't want to cry. Well, it, it, it does t- pull on the heartstrings, but not like the movie Up. And I'll tell Up you. Up was a fantastic Up was fantastic. Film. And by the way, can I circle back? By the way, Michael, brilliant voice acting. Brilliant voice acting, and I would love to hear a songified rap version of that. So can Sorry. we make that happen? All right, make so some for next take week, notes. Take notes. So next week we're doing the Chewy rap, right? That's right. the auto rap? Yes. Okay. And then, right. and please call this the Zim Zam. Oh, oh, my God, when he said that, that was the amazing. Zim Zams. The Zim Zams. Uh, that, w- that was just amazing. I've got a whole new respect for your son uh, okay, doing so, that. So we'll call that the Gilbert. Are we going to do like a normal songify, or are we going to wrap that uh, one We might too? as well just wrap that up, right? Okay, auto wrap. Yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah, good to do All that. All right. Do that. Well, There's next it. week's show is that, taken care of. That's my request. My on-demand <laughs> request there. The request lines You're are open. What are you going to be here for? You need to stick around. <laughs> Be here for that. You're getting us into this, Al John. Then you're going to leave. Oh, I know. Well, I'll, I'll be there in spirit, just like Obi-Wan. <laughs> but uh oh what uh, i was gonna say something and now i totally got off track so it'll come back it's to okay. me it'll, it'll come, come back, back to you in the meanwhile we're gonna do some news okay i have good news for you my lord that's good news come closer i have good news you know there are certain things about a star wars film that we take for granted as fans john williams does the music Anthony Daniels is going to be in there somewhere. Uh, and the films are, you know, begin with a crawler, the 20th Century Fox fanfare. But we know that there's going to be certain things that will change. One of those things, according to rumors, is that it could be the release date. Over at BadassDigest.com, they're talking about how it's possible, according to rumor, that... Star Wars Episode Seven, while it will be released in 2015 as promised, it may not be when we think. It may not be in May. It actually might be in December. It might be all the way till Christmas. What do you guys think? Well, coming into the sequel era, I told myself, do not take anything for granted and come in with no assumptions or expectations based on past history of Star Wars and the release dates. I see it totally logical that it could be moved back to December, but there are a few things that kind of squelch this rumor a little bit. Uh, number one, there were a few people who immediately spoke out um, in a Variety magazine is Variety a magazine or a newspaper? It's a magazine, Mag- right? Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a right. trade. Well, Variety shot it down pretty quickly. And when it comes to journalistic integrity... Well, wait a minute. You say Variety shut it down. Who in Variety? Yeah. Um, I'll you look know, it up. Offhand, who was I'll, quote? I'll actually look it up. Al John, you were at D23. One thing that Alan Horn did reveal... He stated on that stage that Star Wars is going to be seeing a summer 2015 release. Oh, yeah. He did say summer. Yes, he did. He did say summer. All right. 
Well, Badass Digest is already wrong because they said that they quoted Alan Horn, or at least they mentioned Alan Horn at D23, recommitting to 2015, but uh, they left out the whole summer part. Yeah, I believe that got shot down, just like uh, Jimmy had mentioned. But, I, you know, of course, the original Star Wars, wasn't it supposed to be released in Christmas of 1976? Uh, right, right, right. Originally, I mean, there, there may, there's a little precedence, but I, I believe they're going to stay true to the summer release. And I do, too. And also, another reason is when the announcement of Star Wars Celebration Anaheim 2015 was made, they stated that it was being timed with the release of Episode 7. And now, one thing you can look at past history and say, ah, is with the uh, Star Wars Celebration 1, 2, and 3, all happening a month prior to the release of the films theatrically. So those are two things that you can look at as being obvious pieces of evidence. Uh, the third would be the Variety. I believe it was a tweet from one of their writers or editors who said, all my sources are saying everything is going for a summer 2015 release. Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't have that tweet in front of me right now. But I strongly believe that um, this is a rumor, and Lucasfilm themselves have not come out and said no but why would they because anything could happen you know look at jj abrams and his work on the first star trek film it was slated for a summer release but ended up having no it was it was actually slated for a christmas release that's right push it off to the summer oh i'm sorry i have them flip-flopped that's right yeah it was scheduled for christmas it came out in summer well they're lucky that once again, the studios have X amount of slots throughout the year that they can play with, you know. So Disney and you know and Marvel, Lucasfilm, they have a certain allotted slots for live action to to come into the the picture. But look, the studio, if if they have faith in the film and they will and they do, nothing says blockbuster like summer blockbuster. Let's let's not forget that. And, you know, once again, with Jaws and Star Wars, I mean, they pretty much wrote the book on summer blockbusters. So they have faith in the, the property. It's going to I, I believe they're not going to go uh, go back on that. However, if they did, I'll say fine, because if, if, if Star Wars needs a little longer to bake so that we have the best film that they can possibly make, I'm all for it. If I have to wait a few months for it, that's fine. Yeah. But I believe they're going to stay true to that summer date. Yeah, I think they're going to stick to it, too. As, um, as well as uh, Mark Grazer, who is a writer for Variety, he tweeted, Being told there's no truth to the December release date for Star Wars. So that's, you know, he's a, he's a, a longtime reporter for Variety, and uh, he's uh, stating that, uh, no, that's not what he's hearing from his sources. But more, more credible than El Mayimbe. Well, this is, you know, don't throw El Mayimbe under the bus yet. Okay, I know um, that's coming. I know that's coming. <laughs> well, I I'm, don't know if it is. Um, I'm more, I, more than happy to throw El Mayimbe under the bus. Now, why is that? Oh, just because. He likes to spoil, uh, you know, rumors of plot lines of movies from reading comic books that have been out for 30 years. You know, that is no news to the comic book fans that are out there spoiling Marvel. And yeah, this is the origin story of Ant-Man and this is the age of Ultron story. Yeah, whatever, man. 
Hmm. You know, so I, I'm, I don't, I, he has no credibility with me. But once again, El Mayimbe, you want to face me? You want to come get some? I'm telling you right now. Come across this podcast. You know, this Filipino, it'll be like Latino versus Filipino. It's going to be the Thrilla in Manila part three, whatever the case is, right here on Rebel Force Radio. I dare you. All right, calling out El Mayimbe from the Latino Review and El Mayimbe. <laughs> Has made it very clear that he is going to be covering more Star Wars. He says that's what his readers want, and that's what he's going to give them. That gives him the click-through. Yeah, of course he's going to cover more Star Wars, because there's no other property that is hot like Star Wars. It's the hottest property out there, and that gives him the most uh, click-through. But, yeah, I mean, I think they're going to stick with Summer, and uh, I you know, I mean... Once again, that's where the money is. Follow the now, money. Is summer 2015, is that when uh, we're expecting the second Avengers, or is that 14? Yeah. No, it's uh, 2015. Yeah, they kick off the summer blockbuster season, I believe, the first week of May with Avengers 2, Age of Ultron. Yeah. So, And I believe the last week of May, we'll see the release of Star Wars Episode Seven. Mm-hmm. I mean, think of how many bajillions of dollars the Avengers will have made by that point. There are no other major blockbuster releases scheduled for May 2015 to begin with. So who cares if the month of May is bookended by ginormous blockbuster, franchise blockbusters, both owned by it's Disney? A matter. You see, I don't think it's a matter of that. I don't think it's a matter about crowding the market or anything. I think it's about giving – I think these rumors are started on purpose to give J.J. and – uh, bad robot and out. Wow, could be, could I, I be. Think it's, I think it's just yeah. getting that, putting that into the minds of certain people, and uh, perhaps uh, getting uh, you know a little uh, misinformation that could become real information. Who knows? When but the I, Star I, Trek postponement happened, were, were there rumors leading up to that? I don't recall. Neither do I. I don't recall. I wasn't following it, but I do remember there being talk because I, I remember when the casting was was occurring, and it was widely known that they that Abrams had not cast Kirk up until the point of, I think they were within days of shooting the film, and they hadn't cast Kirk. Well, they did a brilliant job. Well, they did a fantastic job. Yeah, Chris Pine came in and, and, and worked beautifully. But this is Abrams' M.O. I mean, this guy will work. He'll, he, will, he will stretch it to the, to the limit, the last, the last you know. Uh, so he, and, and, and I don't know if it's just a matter of him not compromising, because clearly, as Aljon, as you point out, he, he got it right. Um, the film went on to be a great success in the summer of 2009. So, you know, who can argue with it? But I just can't shake this feeling that that film is not where it needs to be at this point at this point to make a may 2015 release you know it's funny when you talk about jj abrams having that mo as a filmmaker for pushing schedules back because he's a guy who has a history in network television and these network television bosses aren't flexible about deadlines or anything like that. You know, you have to be ready when the season is going on the air. You you have to be ready. There's no way around it. Well, unless unless you're a you know unless you're a Sopranos. Well, HBO Smash that's different. That's you know something like or if you know on cable. Uh, and I actually think wasn't there a pretty big lull in between a couple of seasons of Lost? 
there were. I think that had to do with the writer's strike, right? Oh, that's what it was. I think it had to do that's with the writer's strike because that screwed everybody up. But you know, JJ. But but let me add this too. Consider. How long the? I mean, look, we we found out about the Disney acquisition in the fall, and of course, we we ended up finding out that this was in motion a long time before then. So, how much of of the skeleton? Well, of the well, I don't know about how created? long beforehand. Maybe a few months. I think it had been in the works uh, throughout the summer. Yeah, celebration, right? I mean, think about that. Well, now Disney, I don't know. Uh, Episode 7, now we do know that Episode 7 was being uh, discussed and it had been greenlit within Lucasfilm prior to the acquisition. Yeah, and I think this was part of Lucas's thing all along that he, you know, right, that he... He was getting ready to do a whole bunch of that, uh, the 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 work on the new trilogy, and that it, it you know, and all of that came together in one foul swoop, like you know, with the whole Star Tours opening, and then the thought about the new the new prequels, talking with the sequels. original cat or the sequels, right, and talking about the uh, the cast. You know, to the cast, having dinner with the cast, and all that during celebration. I mean, I think, I think there there is a lot of work maybe going on behind the scenes. Maybe. Oh yeah. You know, of course, it, and that's what I would think. So, a lot of the concept stuff may be all penciled together. And of course, as they said, you know, they were working on the deals with the original cast member up until the Disney purchase, which kind of mucked everything up. Kind of. Well, I don't know if it mucked everything up, but what happened was George knew he wanted to retire. And with his retirement, that came hand in hand with selling off Lucasfilm. He wanted to cash out. And you know what? He, he deserves that opportunity to cash out. He certainly has worked hard and built up a lot of what we consider to be the industry today. That all came from him. So he cashes out, but he realizes that one thing that will make his organization, his company, worth way more is if he gets some new Star Wars films in development. So he starts doing that and working on some old concepts he's had banging around in his head about a sequel trilogy. And George has had concepts about a sequel trilogy banging around in his head, probably through the production of Empire Strikes Back. Once he got the Jedi, he started to lose concept and lose grasp of what those ideas were simply because he was under so much pressure and he wanted to step back at that time. Now, looking at making the ultimate step back, cashing in his chips and walking away, he knows the thing that's going to make his company the most attractive is to develop the sequel trilogy, and he started doing that. He hired Michael Arndt. He hired Kathleen Kennedy. Both those two hires were made specifically with the sequel trilogy in mind. Now, when did he realize he wanted to sell it off to Disney? A while ago. And they had initial talks going back to the re-release, the the relaunch of Star Tours. And uh, that's very well documented. So we know that he and Bob Iger sat down, had breakfast before they went up on that stage to open up the new Star Tours. And George sort of teased him with the idea. And Iger said, yeah, I want to do it. And so George, tipping his his toe into the water to see how it feels, he goes, all right, well, you know what? They're interested. 
I need to make this company really valuable, so I'm going to start working on those, the sequel trilogy. So everything will be in motion by the time they buy it. That way, he goes out on his terms, right. and he leaves his fingerprints all over it when he walks away. Legacy. Now, whether or not it's actually turning out the way George had intended it to, we really won't know until after the film is released and we get feedback from George. And won't that be interesting to hear what George thinks of a new Star Wars film and whether or not they got it right? That will be extremely interesting. And something I know that J.J. Abrams, Kathleen Kennedy, and all the head honchos at Disney... They want to avoid any negative fallout from George Lucas. So they are going to work with him as this thing moves forward. Yeah. Which, by the way, brings me back to what I was going to say about George Lucas. Disney Legend 2015. I'm putting it out there. It's going to be George Lucas at D23 2015. After the film is released, will be inducted as a Disney legend. Is it, what, so that's like the Disney Hall of Fame? It is the Hall of Fame for Disney. Tony and, Baxter, who's been on our show in the past, he right. was just inducted at the last D23. Yeah. I mean, visionary. I mean, you, you've said it time and time again on the show. There is, and, and I defend it as a Disney fan, as a Marvel fan, as a Star Wars fan, George Lucas, Hall of Fame, Disney legend 2015, along with Stan Lee. Those two are going to make it. They're wow. going to do it. And, <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, it's going to be a great year, and uh, I guarantee that's going to happen. And I, I, I like how we walk through that whole process. I think a lot of people forget that the prequels didn't start at the acquisition of Disney. They started way before that. The I sequels. Mean, yeah, the sequel. I keep on saying prequels. <laughs> My God, what is wrong with me? But the other thing, too, is uh, you know, the man with the smarts of George Lucas, with the likes of George Lucas, plans their exit strategy years in advance. And how many times have you said on the show, George has been wanting to leave Lucasfilm and leave this all behind and make his, you know, make his, uh, you know, make independent films again, you know, by the way, red tails was awesome. So, you know, uh, you know, I, I think that all goes hand in hand, you know, and, uh, you know, good times there. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, if you, any small business or large business, big business owner, who's a, a sole proprietor, uh, owner, is going to shore it all up as he gets ready to put it on the market. And, Jim, I think you're dead on right that the best way to make the company more valuable is to uh, uh, get some new Star Wars in the pipeline. That obviously made it very attractive to, I'm sure, a number of different companies that were looking to acquire it. But Disney, I think, in George's mind, was that's who he really wanted to ask him to the prom. And reports tell us that Alan Horn, Bob Iger, they wanted to see what George had conjured up for the sequel trilogy before the purchase was made. And that was sort of against George's uh, natural desire. He did not want to share anything with them until they signed on the dotted line. And he very reluctantly turned over the story treatment to them, which may be part of the reason why Michael Art was brought in at the time he was. Because they were asking George, and George was looking at his scribbled handwriting on the legal pad saying, you know, got to bring in somebody to punch this up. So The Bible. Call in Michael Arndt. That's right. And George said, okay, you'll, you'll see my treatment, but 
Give me a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, more rumors abound, including this one. Speaking of uh, El Mayimbe, now this isn't from El Mayimbe, but it is from his uh, website, Latino Review. This comes, by the way, of Kelvin Chavez saying that Obi-Wan Kenobi is going to return in Star Wars Episode Seven. What? How's that possible? Well, as a Force ghost... We've heard the rumors about Ian McDiarmid reprising his role as the Emperor, Sidious, Palpatine, whatever you want to call him, uh, in Episode 7. So if he can come back, why not Obi-Wan? Now, where, where this is significant is that according to Chavez, he has confirmed this with three sources that have all confirmed that Ewan McGregor will be the one back as Force Ghost Obi-Wan in the sequel trilogy. Now, this doesn't come as any huge surprise because we know that Ewan McGregor is game. He's game for being in the next Star Wars film. In fact, uh, recently he was interviewed. This was, uh, I forget what movie he was actually. Was this the Jack and the Giant Slayer or something no, like that? No. He was out there hawking. No, that wasn't it. It was. Um, See, oh. what was he pitching? Oh, sure. You sure it wasn't Jack? Anyway, anyway, he was on with the Digital Spy, and he's talking about a possible <laughs> return to Star Wars. Would you be at all open to reappearing in Star Wars? Oh, I guess, yeah, of mm. course. I mean, if they need me, yeah, I'd be happy. Yeah, no, I guess it could be a ghost. It's, they've done it for us. Well, it would be, uh, yeah, maybe. Or maybe he comes back, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> so Ewan was out promoting the film The Impossible, and uh, oh. that's when uh, he talked to Digital Spy and released that little bit of information saying, yeah, sure, I'd be up for it. And something I've always wanted to see, Al John, is the Spirit Council, the Jedi Spirit Council. Oh, yes. Yoda, Anakin, Obi-Wan, Obi Qui-Gon Jinn. Oh, There's that, your council right there. Gosh, wouldn't that be awesome? Oh, I, I'm, just, I'm just blown away just thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they all confer with Luke. Luke can openly communicate with them. Yeah. And I don't think many other people can. Maybe Leia. But I think they all come to Luke Skywalker. And they guide him in the ways of the Force. And they become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this, this article actually uh, raises the question about if this happens, could we see a day where... Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan at the end of Return of the Jedi as Force Ghost Obi-Wan is replaced by Ewan McGregor, a la Hayden Christensen style? Oh, no. I would hate to see that. Because it was, at that point, the only communication Luke Skywalker had with Obi-Wan Kenobi was as his guys of old Ben, old the hermit. Ben. Exactly. So he would obviously have to appear to Luke as old Ben. And I, I like that, but why then replace Sebastian Shaw with uh, Hayden? Well, I have a theory about that. And I think a lot of people have the, have the same idea, which is that as a force ghost, you would appear as you did before in this case, let's put it this way. The last time Anakin was in his full corporeal form, sans all of the uh, accoutrement 
mechanical, yeah. uh, was as he looked at the end of episode three. So that that would be how he would then appear as a fully formed human being again. Right. That it wouldn't be Sebastian Shaw. And I actually think from a kind of a spiritual uh, point of view that that makes a lot of sense. I would hate to think that they would in just in, in an effort to sort of create some symmetry in the films erase essentially erase a performance by an actor the 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 stature of Alec Guinness even though he is just standing there and smiling and kind of putting his arm on the Yoda puppet uh, I I would I would hate to think that they would erase that I I, I find that very hard to believe I think that uh Lucasfilm George has way too much respect for Sir Alec Guinness's memory to do that however as a fan I would I would accept the mantle of Obi-Wan being handed, of old Ben being handed down to Ewan McGregor with a little bit of makeup, some prosthetics, and a little bit of CG here and there. I think they could probably make a very credible old Ben out of Ewan. And if it's a matter of that or not having old Ben show up, I, I would, I'll take Ewan as old Ben for the new stuff. But I don't think they need to go back and, and insert him on anything else. Now, the, the article points out, too, that rumors are that McGregor is lobbying for a standalone film. Now, a standalone film about maybe Obi-Wan between episodes three and four, like the new Kenobi uh, novel that's coming out, now that would be exciting. Or what about just a, a kick-ass Clone Wars adventure and bring Hayden Christensen back, perhaps? <laughs> The wheels are turning, and I like where you're going. I would love to see an Obi-Wan standalone film. I would prefer to see it happening in the times when he is a hermit living on Tatooine and battling with Tusken Raiders. Like you said, John Jackson Miller's new book coming out next week, Kenobi. But, yeah, I don't know about bringing Hayden back, Hayden and Ewan together as Obi-Wan and Anakin on a Clone Wars adventure. I kind of, no, I don't want to see that. Why not? Because I think that the stories have been told ad nauseum about the Clone Wars via the television show, both of them, and the uh, novels and comics. I, I just really think that What that if it was an opportunity was- to button up some of the things that we didn't get to see at the end of the series what if we got to see what happened to ahsoka what if we got to see ray park as darth maul and what happened between him and sidious the possibilities of seeing that live action are pretty exciting i think i guess so i guess so those are those are very tantalizing tidbits you're throwing out there and uh, any star wars fan would love to see it i mean we're not talking about like an adaptation of you know Shatterpoint or something like that. No, 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 no. Of course yeah. not. And that stuff is going to be avoided. I really don't think we're going to see much of an expanded universe, if any at all, on future Star Wars films, other than maybe an Easter egg here or a sly nod there. I don't think we're going to be seeing any expanded universe influences on Star Wars. And that's not a judgment call on the, the expanded universe at all. It's just, uh, that's just how I see it right now. I, I, I don't think that that's going to happen. I don't think there's going to be Mara Jade. I don't think there's going to be Jaina Solo. I don't think there's going to be Grand Admiral Thrawn. I think it's going to be going into a new and fresh direction. 
But you could see a Quinlan Voss. You could, I suppose, but he's a, a background he's a, character. He's a prequel era character, yeah. and I, I also yeah. think the prequels will be large, largely ignored as we move forward with the future of Star Wars films. I think those, yeah, I think you know, not to interrupt, but those uh, those standalone films would probably just really rely on one central character, right? And in Obi Wan Kenobi's case, I think that could be a very solid and fertile ground to. Uh, to uh, to uh, cultivate. Hey, one more thing about these these four spirits at the end of Jedi, because now <laughs> you got my wheels turning. Sebastian Shaw appears to Luke, but Luke is like, who is that guy? He has to be because he doesn't look anything like the burnt up Vader. <laughs> All right. So I mean, in essence, that version, that spiritual version of Sebastian Shaw is Anakin Skywalker at the end of the original Return of the Jedi is totally conceptually flawed because Anakin Skywalker never looked like that. But isn't the Force also having to do with feelings? So when he takes the helmet off and he confesses to his son and right. they look into each other's eyes, there's a transaction there that goes beyond looks and goes – it's about the soul and about how people feel through the force. So wouldn't it be plausible that when he does show up that it conjures the feeling of this is my father. I know who he is. I have a connection with him that goes beyond look. So even if he, I don't necessarily recognize him as the burnt-up guy in the dark helmet – that uh, you know that he does automatically recognize him as his father due to the feelings through the force. Perhaps, perhaps the the perception of a force spirit lies in the hands of the person who is observing that spirit and coming into contact with it. Yes. Whereas Yoda said it: "Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter." So. I mean, you could be shining a flashlight into Luke Skywalker's face, and that flashlight would represent the luminous beings and the Force. But the way Luke's mind translates and deciphers that information, he comes up with these images. And just from that momentary interaction he had with Anakin, sans Darth Vader helmet, burnt up, with or without eyebrows, depending on what version you're watching... That gave Luke a mental image of what his father looked like, uninjured, unscarred. And that is the perception he had. And there's precedence because remember Leia says out there in the Ewok village, she says, I don't really recall my mother, right? So she has left an imprint onto Leia and perhaps those imprints get transferred onto Luke and in form of those feelings and impressions. And as we see the representation on screen, he also is able to relate that as well. That's the impression that he gets. Right. Yeah. So. She says that she just, you know, really she just has no memory of, well, no, she doesn't say she doesn't have memory of her mother. Luke says he has no memory of her mother, of that's his right. mother. That's right. Leia says that, uh, just, she has feelings. That's right. Um, that she was sad. Yeah, she was sad, all right. Uh, yeah, no uh, yeah, yeah. I, I but, would be but, too. But also, I would, I would bet we don't know much about Leia's upbringing. But if I had to guess, I would think that the Organas, who thought so much of Padme, probably raised Leia with some understanding of who her mother was, 
as opposed to the Lars family who really wanted to keep Luke very much far away from anything that having to do with his father. I told you to drop it. <laughs> Doesn't Owen say that to him at one point? Exactly. I told you to drop it. Yeah, That'd be and, like me. Voice your farmer Mac. I'd just I be like, to, I told you to forget it. Told you to forget it. Yeah, that's what he says. I told you to forget it. I'd just be like, you know, king of denial out there on the moisture farm. Okay, so do want to take a quick mo- pause here and thank our sponsor for this week. One of our sponsors this week, Audible.com. You know them, you love them. They are the number one source of spoken audio entertainment. We're talking about audiobooks and not just some dry reader to reading the audiobook to you. We're talking about, in, in some cases, full-blown performances. In the case of the Star Wars books, you got sound effects, you got the John Williams music, you got it all. It's like having a brand new Star Wars film for your mind in your car, in the gym, no matter where you are. And here's the best part. We're going to give you a free one from Rebel Force Radio and... The folks at audible.com could be Kenobi by John Jackson Miller. Here's what you got to do. You got to go to audiblepodcast.com. That's audiblepodcast.com forward slash RFR for Rebel Force Radio. Sign up today. Sign up for the monthly plan. And even if you decide to cancel, you'll still get that free audiobook. And as I say, the new Kenobi book by John Jackson Miller might be a uh, a good one for you to look into. We got a clip here. Hey, can I talk about this book for a second? Yeah, because Jimmy and and myself, being powerful, influential members of the Star Wars media, uh, both have had a, a chance. Well, I had a chance. I haven't read it yet. Jimmy has actually read this book. Yes, and already it's entire- read it. The galley edition he received from the good folks at Del Rey. And uh, what did you think? Well, I, I got to tell you, it was a fabulous Star Wars book, and I put it up there. As far as importance and entertainment, I put it up there with the Darth Plagueis novel. Oh, really? Yes. As far as a novel that ties in with the film saga as we know it, this book goes up there on that pedestal with Darth Plagueis from a couple years ago. And I'll tell you why. Because it truly expands your acceptance of the Your character. universe? Yes. <laughs> I mean, really, this this yeah. story about Obi-Wan Kenobi mm-hmm. is fairly safe territory. Mm-hmm. I really don't think we're going to be seeing much about it on the television show Star Wars Rebels, which takes place during a time Obi-Wan is in exile. We talked earlier about a standalone film featuring Ewan McGregor, perhaps on his early days as a hermit on Tatooine. Yes, that seems tantalizing, but I think the chances of that are a long shot. I really do. What this novel represents to me is a very legitimate and palpable expansion of the Obi-Wan Kenobi story to where I would consider this to be on the highest level of canon because it spits in flawlessly. It presents you with a Tatooine that represents the old Wild West, which is something that made Star Wars, the original Star Wars film, stand out is the fact that it was a space western. And that is something that oftentimes gets forgotten with people who try to expand on the Star Wars universe. This book accepts that and parlays it into a very 
excellent story about Obi-Wan Kenobi's early days as a hermit, his early days interacting with the community surrounding his little hut out there in the, the, the wastelands of Tatooine. I mean, let's face it, Obi-Wan Kenobi knew about Tatooine very well by the time he had hooked up with Luke in Episode 4. You get hints of this history when Obi-Wan reveals that he's had a relationship with Owen Lars, that he's been to the Moss Eisley Cantina and recognizes the fact that it's a rough place. Are these uh, elements of the story represented in this book, Kenobi? Well, I'm not going to tell you. You have to read the book for yourself to find out. But I got to tell you this. There are characters, moisture farmers, that we've never met before as Star Wars fans, new characters in this book that I really didn't think I'd give a rat's you-know-what about. As I read the book, I found that John Jackson Miller had crafted these characters into personalities you really care about. So it's more than a story about Obi-Wan Kenobi. Ben. Crazy Ben. And that's here's one thing about the book that is great. You understand why these people on Tatooine refer to him as Crazy Old Ben. Okay, nice. he gets caught in a few compromising situations, let's just say. But it's it's just something that's a great bridge between Ewan McGregor's prequel Obi-Wan and Alec Guinness's crazy old Ben from episode four. It's a it's a great look into that Wild West aspect of Tatooine and the moisture farmers and their culture. Things that really ring true to me about Star Wars. It's that simple environment of Tatooine. It's a simple desert environment. Yet somehow Star Wars takes that environment and makes it so exotic and exciting. It's really impressive. I really felt like I was at home reading this book. Very much like when I saw Phantom Menace for the first time. And the story evolved and they found themselves seeking refuge on the planet Tatooine. And when that royal starship landed on that desert planet, I was like, yes, this is Star Wars. We are home again. That simple environment, for some reason to me, represents Star Wars on a very pure level. And that's what this book gives you, an adventure on Tatooine. 100% on Tatooine. Just a fun read. I never got tired reading this. I never fell asleep reading this book. I read it. it, It's it's an easy read. It it captivates you and keeps you involved in the story from beginning to end. Because, number one, you're so, as as a fan, you're so invested in the character of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And you know enough about him and you care enough about him. But like I said, these ancillary characters surrounding him and his earliest appearances publicly on Tatooine, where he doesn't want anyone to know anything about him. He doesn't want anything anyone to know about his history as a Jedi Knight for obvious reasons. They're being hunted by the Empire. And while Tatooine is a little bit outside the interests of the Empire, it's not outside the Empire's grasp, as we know. So it's just so much fun to read this book. And I have to say that we are going to be doing a special roundtable discussion about Kenobi, which is hitting stands next week. 
and audible.com. And I did confirm with audible.com that yes, it will be released on the 27th. Um, I'm giving Rebel Force Radio listeners a little bit of an assignment, a little bit of homework. We're going to give you about a month to read this book, and then we are going to convene, as we did with the Darth Plagueis book, with a very special roundtable. And we have some very special guests who will be joining us for the roundtable. And I'm not going to reveal who right now, but let's just say it's going to be a show you will not want to miss. And this is a book you don't want to miss. We have a clip from the audio book. Uh, this is when Ben makes his first, let's just say, public appearance to the uh, people of Tatooine. Uh, this is set in a cantina, not the Moss Eisley Cantina, mind you, but it is uh, happening in a bar. And uh, while you don't hear him being identified as Ben in this clip, you will understand who he is and what he is transporting with him. Bleary-eyed Ulbrich looked up the arm and into the hooded face of his rescuer. Blue eyes looked back at him from beneath sandy-colored eyebrows. I don't know you, Ulbrich said. Yes, the bearded human responded, helping the old farmer back onto the stool. Then he moved a few paces away to get the bartender's attention. The brown-cloaked man had something in his other arm. Ulbrich now saw a bundle of some kind. Alerted, Ulbrich looked around to see whether his own bundle was missing before remembering that he never had a bundle. This isn't a nursery. The bartender told the newcomer, although Ulbrich couldn't figure out why. I just need some directions, the hooded man responded. <laughs> hooded man carrying a baby stopping off at a Tatooine bar looking for directions <laughs> I think we all know who that cat is I think and we so. all know what that bundle was what that baby was so uh, that's how the book kicks off essentially and from there it just introduces you to compelling characters and Ben's interaction with them and notice I keep calling him Ben because that's what they call him in the book they you know there's no identification of obi-wan well but it, it couldn't be because he hasn't heard it in a long time a long time a long, long time, time. Wait, wait, i can't do i'm not gonna do the gilbert i'm not gonna do the gilbert voice but um it's a very compelling book and i i do enjoy it very much and yes i am putting it up there as far as importance to uh star wars fans it's up there with the darth plagueis novel and um it doesn't tie in to really any other expanded universe except for one aspect of it that came from the Dark Horse comics. But other than that, it's uh, very much a standalone piece, very much something anyone can pick up and read. With the knowledge of the Star Wars films and the character of Obi-Wan Kenobi, you can grab this thing off the shelf and start reading it. A perfect standalone. A perfect standalone. perfect standalone. You can get it for free, courtesy of Audible and the Rebel Force Radio folks here. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash RFR, and we thank them so much for their support of Rebel Force Radio. All right, let's get back to the news. Ian McDiarmid perhaps returning. Was he part of the big lunch during Celebration 6 in Orlando? Jason, I think we did hear that, yes, Ian McDiarmid was with. I was about to answer my own question. I I was just setting it up. It was kind of rhetorical, but... 
since you were so kind, uh, yes, I, you're confirming he was part of that lunch, the big power lunch, where perhaps the uh, very beginnings of recruitment began in terms of casting for George Lucas's sequel trilogy. And so rumors are that he is going to be reprising his role. And then guess who comes out of the bushes? El Maimbe? No. Just Kelvin Chavez from Latino Review saying that he knows... And he's always, let's see, does he say how many sources? They always, like, count. I've got three sources that I confirm this with. Let's talk about the original source that broke this story. It's our friends at Jedi News. And uh, they're the ones who put that out there on the web. And uh, and uh, you know what? Well, uh, a, a, an unnamed source. They're calling. I, I, it's an unnamed. I love the guys at Jedi News. But. Via an unnamed source. I mean, that's well, what are you going to do? I mean, weak. you know, people yeah, can lose weak. their jobs if you, you know, ID them and they don't have the the right to be company spokespeople. They they can lose their jobs. So right, but I mean, it's it's uh, it, I it's not worth really even mentioning who the source is at this point if they're unnamed, right? Yeah, you just say, hey, we heard. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's more you official know. though. It's, it's anyway. It's, it's got that. That's not. That's not the. That's not the interesting part that Ian McDermott might return. In my opinion, the interesting part is that they're saying he won't be a clone. Now, getting back to this issue about whether or not we'll see the expanded universe kind of trickle in, or aspects of the expanded universe trickling in. Of course, he was famously came back as a clone in the uh, Dark Empire se- uh, comic book series. And I think there was even a Hasbro figure made of Clone Emperor back in the day, uh, prior to the prequels coming out. That first wave that they ever did of expanded universe figures. But again, here, according to Latino Review and his source, no mention of who the source is, according to my source, Calvin says that he is coming back, but as a force ghost like Obi-Wan. And the Sith Lords learned similar techniques, which in some cases allowed them to physically interact with their environment. So Obi-Wan and Sidious slash Palpatine slash the Emperor back in Episode 7. Now, this isn't the first time we've heard about or speculated, rather, that Ian might be game to come back all the way back at uh, Celebration 6. Jimmy, you and I, our ears perked up and we heard... McDiarmid, during his panel, say this. Would you be willing to, to reprise your role as Palpatine again, or the Emperor? Well, of course, George would have to go down on his bended knees. Um, well, what do you think? <laughs> but, um, however, you know, I mean, who knows if Palpatine would be in it? It could be the same as, uh, as New Hope, as the first movie. There could be a terrific representative... Uh, of the Emperor, and by God, Peter Cushing was a brilliant actor. Um, Out there doing the Emperor's bidding, but uh, uh, if he happened to pop up in the script, um, I would hate it if I was still alive and someone else did it. Do you notice, Jim, how he says, who knows if if, uh, Palpatine would even be in it? Did you did you catch that? Well, I think he was specifically referring to the live action television show. If that ever got off the ground, 
I believe that was talking about the. They weren't talking about the live action show. Well, I, I believe that you know. I mean, to, this is kind of out of context the way we're hearing this. Um, but yeah, I, I believe there was conversation about the live action show prior to him saying that, yeah, he'd be up for returning his Palpatine. What's important about this clip is the fact that he's saying he would be disappointed if he was still alive and someone else was recruited to play the role of Palpatine. I don't think we can really look for any indication that he was feeling like there was going to be an announcement about new films. Uh, I don't know. I think you need to go back to the uh, Rebel Force Radio Sound Labs and, and, and give us a little bit more of that. Because I don't recall that coming out of any conversation about the live action show. Because you and I left that panel going, boy, he sure seems to know an awful lot about what's happening or what could potentially be happening at Lucasfilm. He seemed awfully plugged in to uh, the potential future of Star Wars for a guy who had been, up to that point, quite aloof when it comes to uh, the franchise. Yeah, so obviously. I, that, that's, that's the gut reaction I get, too, from hearing that, that clip. Is that, uh, and he just refers for- to as it, and I just have this feeling, could this have been after the lunch? He's talking about it, as George was... Uh, you know, munching on a burger and said, yeah, there's going to be a new movie, a new, new trilogy, episode seven, like nine, you know, and he's there with Carrie and, uh, and Mark and Ian and Anthony. That's the picture that I get. And also the timing of his, you know, his uh, debut right. at conventions of these types. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I think... <laughs> Very, very serendipitous. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Alger. Mr. Lucas, your Fuddruckers is ready. <laughs> Fuddruckers. That's where you go eat, I'm sure. Now, that's a name I've not heard in a long time. <laughs> he had his flannel shirt. Fuddruckers. Uh, is, is, did he go to Fuddruckers with um, the Disney Imagineer and we talked with him? Uh, I'm, I'm was sure. That Fuddruckers? Fuddruckers. Why not? Because I remember they went and got a burger. And then he was so bummed that they didn't be stay friends because I think after they got that burger, George showed him his private comic book collection. Well, you're talking about Tony, Tony Baxter. Baxter. Tony Baxter, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We just mentioned him. Yeah. yeah. I, they went out for a burger. I maybe just, it was In-N-Out Burger because that happened over there in, in the West Coast. Well, maybe it was. Yeah. I believe Daniel Logan has told us a story about George's love for In-N-Out Burger. I, I, yeah, I believe that's true. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. He's a simple man. Man of the people, that George Lucas. All right, so could we be seeing the return of Palpatine? Could we be seeing the return of Obi-Wan? Who knows? Anything could happen. Give us something, JJ. My God. Uh, We actually have more highlights from Celebration Europe, too, Jim. We guess we got some uh, audio clips sent in from a listener. Right, you know, courtesy of... uh Loyal RFR listener Dominic Jones from the Star Wars Underworld. He wait, heard wait, wait, wait. my who Jones? Who Jones? D Jones. Dominic. Jones. Do- oh, Dominic Jones. All right, I've, I've, I'm Dominic Jones. I, I thought you. Were- and uh, Dominic heard my my cry, my pleas uh, a couple weeks ago when I said I was scouring the web looking for audio evidence of Mark Hamill talking about his Clone Wars role. And Dominic came through with a recording he made himself. This is from Mark Hamill's Celebration Europe 2 panel, where he talks about the fact 
that he actually recorded a voice for a yet-to-be-seen episode of Star Wars The Clone Wars. Do you know anything about uh, Clone Wars? Have they all been on yet? I think that's all kind of in the, in the in John Dave Filoni's cupboard. Uh, he's got a, there's some unaired episodes? Yes. Oh, well then I don't know if I should say Woo! Dave, I haven't seen Dave, but uh, I said, should this be a secret? And he I said, don't know. We won't tell anyone. Said, no, we, yeah. <laughs> I won't tell anyone. <laughs> And he said, yeah, let's keep it a secret. So I said, okay. But it has to do with Clone Wars and me. Figure it out. (laughs) But you know what I can't remember? I can't remember the character. It's Darth somebody. Oh. Yeah. So he's definitely evil. And he told me it has has meaning from the first, not the originals, but the prequels. Yes. And again, like I said, with short-term memory loss, by the time I got to the parking lot, I forgot what he said. Well, you've piqued our interest, Mark. I tell you that much. Yeah. Do it on the end. Keep quiet, quiet, but I think I might have done this. Yeah. You've got to be careful. Secretly, don't say anything outside the room, okay? Ask Lord about his cameo. Did you do a cameo? And never happened. They cancelled the series before we got to it. Oh. Uh, yeah, well, they're doing a new one. Well, I, yeah. I, I Don't worry. I, I managed to persuade Dave to try and do something. Okay. I, it was a little hard to hear there towards the end, but yeah, uh, it was. They were talking a lot about whether or not Warwick got a role in Clone Wars, and uh, he he says he wants to try to do something in. Uh, well, I better hurry up. Rebels. Oh, but, oh, and I Rebels. Mean, okay. Yeah. The main the main thing that we're hearing in that audio is exactly what we were hearing from reports coming out of this event was the fact that Mark did reveal that he voiced a character for a yet-to-be-seen episode of The Clone Wars, Darth Somebody. Darth, hmm. now that's, who do you think it is, Alja? Hmm, who could it be? I, you know, it could be a couple of people. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, obviously Darth Plagueis, that, perhaps. That would be my first thing. A lot of people are thinking about that. I'm thinking about Darth Bane or Darth Revan because of the fact that we know that character models were created for those two for the Mortis trilogy, but not used. So you had that asset at your disposal. And if I were to pick one from those two, I would pick Darth Bane as the voice Mark would do. Now, Darth Bane, of course, going back to the episode one novelization, and Mark does say in that clip that it's a a character that ties into episode one. Going back to that novelization, based on George Lucas's notes, Darth Bane reestablished the rule of the Sith, the rule of two for the Sith Lords a thousand years prior to the events of the Phantom Menace. And it was through his machinations, his, his subtlety, his stealth, that the Sith were reborn into this dark side sect that would eventually evolve to take over the galaxy. And so it took a thousand years for that to happen. And sure enough, it did with Palpatine rising to power. However, we know how short-lived his actual uh, reign of terror was. You know, when you put in a millennia of work and you only get like 25 years of payback. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is documented. Just remember. That is throw, documented, got I guess. that chef, so it could be that we might be seeing the rebirth of, of the Sith Order. So, 
you know that 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 is great. Darth Bane is great. Plus, that would tie in tremendously well with his work in Batman, wouldn't you say? With the Joker, exactly. You know, because Bane and the whole thing, and I, uh, <laughs> oh, I get it. Okay, of course. Bane, you know, Bane, the name, Bane. just the name. Just so, the name. so Darth Bane would be like, you know, <laughs> someday soon you will join the dark side of the force. Yes, exactly right. That's Before exactly. That's exactly how it goes. You see, I tee him up, and you just shoot him down. That's there how it works. Is. All right. So, um, there you have it confirmation you heard it right from the jedi's mouth that uh mark hamill after five years we all been waiting for it you know mark had a, has had a very prolific career as a voiceover actor and has uh, uh long been rumored to be a potential actor on the clone wars and so when it wouldn't you know we finally get it and they cancel the show now you know you, you got to hold out hope that the bonus content will feature Mark's Darth something character. Um, we don't know if those are the finished episodes. We don't, and that's what's disturbing. However, from all reports coming out of the Clone Wars panel at Celebration Europe, Dave Filoni did reveal, he showed artwork of Yoda entering a Sith temple, and it's quite possible that maybe the spirits of these Darths Darth something and Darth what's his name? Something something. Exactly. Dark side. They'll they'll appear to Yoda, maybe. We've always heard in the past though that it took someone on the light side of the Force to be able to cross over from the realm of death and appear as a Force ghost. But now we're starting to hear all this evidence to the contrary. And this is something that's never really, really been fully fleshed out in any sort of Star Wars story. This is all kind of behind-the-scenes stuff. Why? Do you know something, Aljon? Now, when Darth Vader threw the Emperor down that shaft of the Death Star 2, when that that glow started emanating from the chamber and, and floating up, did it not look like a ghost to you? It did, did it I guess. A, it like, did. if you freeze-frame the, the Blu-ray, could you not see something like some ghostly image maybe floating up uh you know just rising from that and thinking i always thought as a kid even when i saw that that he ain't dead really i I always thought it was kind of like the exhaust burping yeah like some sort of reaction coming out of the main reactor that we see the uh x-wings destroy right at the end of the film, I, 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 that's where I always thought the Emperor body was disposed. I thought that that shaft led directly down into the main reactor for the battle station. I never thought that. You, you never did. I never thought that. When I saw that glow, I thought to myself, maybe he incinerated, but then the spirit came rising what up. What is from that the all sh- about? And keep in mind that throne room was at the top of a spire. That was on the surface of the Death Star. Right. I assume up like near the North Pole. <laughs> if you were the Emperor, you'd want to sit up on top of the whole thing and have I everyone am, beneath you, right? I am Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> Dark Santa. Maybe that'll be a spinoff film. Exactly. Could be. Dark Santa. Have Billy Bob Thornton as <laughs> Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> We've cast it. It's done. Uh-huh. Heard it here first. Um, yes. So I, I always just assumed that that was... 
I, I maybe I lacked imagination as a kid, but I always thought that that was just some sort of reaction that those gases were having when it hit when it met with a you know carbon based life form you know being chucked down it. Um, but it, it could I guess it could be. Uh, we don't really have outside of what we witnessed on um, with the uh, the Dathomir witches. We did we haven't really seen any kind of green. Uh, or you know, colored spiritual mist of any kind uh, in Star Wars, but it's still it's still possible. It's still possible. I always thought as a kid that he would have transferred his consciousness to another being. That or... was a Star Trek, by the way. That was well, the Katra going into bones. Right. Well, and, uh, you yeah, know, but but right. to me, I always thought that 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 exhaust was always there was something extra about it. It wasn't just exhaust it was carefully drawn out like a ghost yeah you know you're not the only fan i've heard make this speculation i i lean more on the jason side of things where i just assumed that that was some bizarre reaction from chucking a sith lord into a reactor <laughs> that's what happened all right but, can i just can i just i mean let me get this off my chest i don't want him back i don't want him back i don't want palpatine being the next freddy krueger he just won't die. There's no way to kill him. I don't want him back. Now, what I would like is a cameo by Ian McDiarmid as maybe some sort of holocron recording, some sort of uh, a journal of the Sith, you know, like the audible version of the Sith Bible narrated by Darth Sidious or something like that. That I could really get my arms around. But to be to tell you the truth, I mean, just to like, you know, he comes back from the dead or he's a clone or he's a, an active spirit. Uh, I'm not so into that, to tell you the truth. I think it's just it's way too easy. Well, you, you, you said Michael Arndt, you know, and Toy Story. It could be Star Wars. And, and the, the, the byline would be Ghost Story. <laughs> well, that's where it's leading. I mean, if we've got Obi-Wan back, if we've got, uh, you know, Palpatine back. So who knows? But... For me, I think it's just, uh, just don't go there. Cameo, you know, it, you know, the cameo Emperor, would be great. He could have done a vlog. That's exactly That's right. The Sith holocron vlog, and be right. like, "Here's what I've passed on through all these years, and now you found it, and here you go." Right, uh, just like uh, when you think about what, yeah, what uh, you know, Jor-El left for Kal-el. Right? That's exactly where I was going with that because you guys talked about Superman in the past couple episodes and now you've got it. So, there you know, go. this oh. is my wisdom. I'm leaving in a holocron. And, of course, there's precedence for it because that happened in the Old Republic and all that other stuff and blah, blah, blah. So it's feasible that he could just do a quick cameo in there just passing on the knowledge of the Sith. Someone's got to find it. I'd be fine with that. I think that would be great. Yeah. That'd be great. All right. One more story here. This is from StarWars7News.com. Uh, they're reporting, and this is seems kind of obvious, but that Disney is betting everything on J.J. Uh, Abrams. And that J.J. is not just the guy on deck for Episode 7, but he's really going to be overseeing the creative efforts of all things Star Wars, while Kathleen Kennedy kind of handles the, the business management of the franchise. JJ is going to be the guy through which everything goes through story-wise. It, we're talking about the, the spin-off films. We're talking about the, any potential TV series, the video games, all of that stuff. JJ is now the new gatekeeper. He's the new 
holocron, the human holocron, perhaps. Look you know, it's out, kind of interesting. I, I heard some some insider info, uh, people in the know, who told me that something that frustrated J.J. Abrams and his relationship with the Star Trek franchise is the fact that he couldn't exert the sort of influence across the board that he wanted to. That if the Star Trek would be spun off into a new TV show, it would be very difficult for J.J. to maintain control over that. And that's something that he wanted, primarily for the fact that there's so many cooks in the Star Trek kitchen. Now, obviously, these days, there's a lot of cooks in the Star Wars kitchen as well. But I think that that's something that J.J. is very keen on, is having creative control over not just Episode 7, but any sort of spinoffs. And he will most likely be back to direct Episodes 8 and 9. That's my gut feeling is that J.J.'s in for the long haul. And as a natural, I don't know if I would say benefit, but it's something that he wants to the fact where he wants to be in charge of everything. He wants to be the new George Lucas. He's the shepherd. He wants to shepherd the franchise. Yeah, and I think the problem with Star Trek was the fact that there's TV deals separate from the movie deals with CBS and Paramount. And there's already a precedence made with the Marvel franchise. Look at Kevin Feige, who is the president of Marvel Studios, versus, and, of course, how he is influenced. But look at where Joss Whedon is right now, shepherding the other films, working with people like Jon Favreau and other people to make sure that it stays on track across the board, including television. Is Whedon also got his fingerprints on The Shield? Absolutely. He uh, he directed, I believe, the pilot and co-wrote it, and I believe he's got his fingerprints all up in there. So the the basically it has been, you know, the, the course has been set, and I believe they're using J.J. because of his experience and knowledge with TV and film to shepherd it and make sure there's consistency in storytelling across the board, and, you know, especially with Kathleen Kennedy and, and J.J. there, they're going to shepherd it in the right direction. So there's continuity, consistency in storytelling, and everything that needs to be told needs to be told in a certain way, in a certain fashion that is in keeping with George's uh, you know, vision. Um, so, you know, like I said, it, it's already precedent with Marvel Studios. It's already precedent with Pixar. We know that already. And now, right now, with, with Star Wars and Lucasfilms. So. Now, I just said that the name of the show is The Shield, that's it, not, it's yeah, Marvel's Agents of Shield. Agents of Shield. That's right. Okay, it's not the Michael Chiklis show. No, it's okay. not. <laughs> Although he is a nice guy. Is he? Michael Chiklis is a nice guy. He wishes he was back. Agents of him. Shield, and so definitely a Joss Whedon influence on that show as well. Absolutely. So, yes. so I think we're looking at something similar here with J.J. Abrams, mm-hmm. as we've heard talks about Disney, ABC specifically having interest in reviving the the idea. The idea of a live-action Star Wars TV show. I don't think they're going to be going back to the Star Wars Underworld vault. I think it's uh, going to be coming up with something fresh and new. Um, Obviously, we know about the animated show. In very safe hands with Dave Filoni and uh, Simon Kimberg. And And once again, uh, the same goes for Marvel Animation. The same can be said for Lucasfilm Animation and where they're going. They have a shepherd and David Dave Filoni, and and you know, and working with um, uh, Simon Kinberg, mm-hmm. right? So there is a precedence that has been set. 
They're going to do that with Star Wars, and I believe that if there was any moves to be made on television, it would be probably for the second film moving forward. It would make sense. You know, you've got the the episode seven, you've got the first standalone film, and bam, here comes TV. It's all going to tie in together. The TV show is going to weave in ancillary characters to help build that story, help build a mythology, and bring people, uh, other people that are not familiar with the Star Wars uh, series in, in, in mythology into it by TV. So it makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. All right. So speaking of sequels, not to be outdone, Smuggler's Gambit, popular radio dramatization that premiered at Celebration 6, a sequel in the works? Yes, says Kyle Newman on Twitter. Jim, is this the first you've heard of it? <laughs> no. <laughs> of course not. No, it's not. We've been talking about the sequel to Smuggler's Gambit. Uh, the second we walked off that stage in Orlando last summer at uh, Celebration 6, we uh, we knew we were on to something fun and cool. And, yeah, I think uh, it, I think it's going to happen. I think we're, we're targeting uh, Celebration. Kyle made it public with a tweet. He says, Smuggler's Gambit 2 is in the works. Get ready. Mm-hmm. Start ready. at Star Wars Celebration. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, we, we've actually had some early talks about it, how we're going to approach it, and what characters are going to carry over from the first one to the second one. Actually, we're envisioning a, a trilogy, if I can throw that out there. <laughs> like uh, we, we have been talking about a trilogy where uh, some characters might return for uh, part two and some might return in part three. So uh, I would expect a lot of new characters. Uh, if, if we're going to record this at Celebration 2015 in Anaheim, obviously we're going to have access to a different roster of talent that could even go beyond star Wars where we're talking some players from Hollywood, obviously, you know, all that stuff is yet to be determined, but that's kind of the approach we're taking. And uh, Kyle is uh, hard at work on a script and there's some really cool concepts being thrown out there. FJ is also on board and uh, David Collins. Of course, we couldn't do Smuggler's Gambit without the great vocal stylings of David Collins and his awesome characterization of Han Solo. Uh, I'll be there firing off Chewie and whatever <laughs> other audio <laughs> Uh, Hopefully not the auto, the auto rap version of Chewy. Just oh, uh, no. plain, plain old Chewy will do fine. I have to say, as a fan, and my wife and I were there to see Smuggler's Gambit. Oh, we you were there? It. Of course, I was. Oh, I wouldn't miss it for the world. Awesome. And I have to say that you know, like many others have echoed, it was a highlight of my celebration experience. It was so much fun to be in that hall with so many fans. It was just packed, and I enjoyed it so much to see the love that you guys had out there, and it was so entertaining. I felt like I was listening to a bona fide Star Wars drama on the radio, which I love so much, Theater of the Mind. It was brilliant. Well, it was something that had never been done before, especially in the realm of Star Wars. And I had had some previous experience working with live radio dramas and that is kind of the genesis of the whole idea for smugglers gambit was a phone call conversation i had with jason swank after i performed in a christmas production of it's a wonderful life live on stage in an old theater in joliet illinois broadcast live on the radio and jim tell everyone your character oh god jason I was um, the Italian. 
You were the bar owner, right? You owned the the bar. You owned the bar. You threw... uh, Everybody. I don't know what I... I remember his line. Was it Enzo? Was it Enzo? No, that's the godfather, man. Enzo's... (laughs) Enzo's the baker. You're you're busted about here. Oh, Enzo's from the godfather. (laughs) He's the one hit at the beginning of the movie. Well, I don't know. You're the barkeep. You were the barkeep. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah, he was the he was the he was the yeah he was. The, well, I don't know, Jason. Here's here's my line. It you was, threw George Bailey out of the bar, right? That's right. It was like, be my friend, Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> like, what what show are you in? Next in, in, in Shot Glass Digital is going to be the Godfather cast. The God, see you it. come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding. <laughs> I was like, so what happened to George Bailey? <laughs> but seriously, so I acted in this thing. I've done it a couple times, and I was sharing uh, my experience with Jason, and he said, wouldn't it be great if you could get Clone Wars actors, voice actors at Star Wars Celebration to do a live audio drama? So we told Kyle and FJ, those guys went crazy with the script, and, and, and we were able to develop it all up into what was a very unique and fun experience, I think, for convention goers, and something that you don't normally get as a form of entertainment at these shows. And so, uh, yeah, the, I mean, it was so wonderful to see a packed house and to get all the feedback we got and bajillion hits on StarWars.com for the polished up, fully produced audio drama, so... Heck, we're going to do it again, and I think we're going to have a great time doing it. And we cannot wait. No, it's going to be great. If you haven't had a chance to check out Smuggler's Gambit, you need to do it. Jim, it's still available at StarWars.com, right? Yes, it is. Absolutely. And uh, so is it – they have a vanity URL, a friendly URL for that? Is it StarWars.com slash – Slash Smuggler's Gambit. Smuggler's Gambit. Excellent. And uh, here's a little taste of what you'll experience when you check it out. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Smuggler's Gambit, a new Star Wars audio adventure. Written and directed by Kyle Newman. Co-written by F.J. DeSanto. And produced by Rebel Force Radio's Jimmy Mack. Recorded live at Star Wars Celebration 6 in Orlando. Punch it, Joey! Smuggler's Gambit stars David Collins as Han Solo and features the talented cast of The Clone Wars, including Ashley Eckstein, Sam Witwer, Dee Bradley Baker, Tom Kane, Matthew Wood, Matt Lanter, Claire Grant, and Daniel Logan as Boba Fett. Hey, who's shooting at us? Leave it so soon, Solo. Shields, Joey! I said shields, Joey! Hear Smuggler's Gambit, a Han Solo adventure for free. And watch the behind-the-scenes video at StarWars.com slash Smuggler's Gambit. We should have left after the Death Star, huh, Furface? That's StarWars.com slash Smuggler's Gambit. But, you know, every time I hear David Collins doing that Han Solo, <laughs> it just blows me away every time. Oh, he's perfect. Every time. All right, before we wrap things up... I do want to thank our other sponsor for this week, Dorkside Toys. Go to DorksideToys.com for all of your action figure needs from Star Wars, DC, Marvel, G.I. Joe, and so much more. Plus, Gentle Giant, McFarlane, Hasbro, Mattel, all that great stuff. In fact, if you go over to um, the Gentle Giant side of collecting, you'll notice they have this amazing, amazing new statue of they call it Yoda Ilum statue, which is a really, really bad looking Yoda wearing a black 
hooded cloak with the ears sticking out. And uh, he looks like he's ready to kick some, you know what, I'm talking about. So check that out. Uh, great prices, of course, and uh, wonderful service and very fast delivery. All that and more at DorksideToys.com. You must contact me. Play back the entire message. What message? Message after the message. The Emperor commands you to make contact with you. It's a trick. Send no reply. <laughs> Jimmy, this is Joel from Oregon. I was just listening to a uh, Jay and Silent Bob Get Old podcast, one of Kevin Smith's uh, Smodcasts, and uh, he was talking in this episode 111 about um, doing commentaries for movies, and he was talking about Return of the Jedi and, and how you talk about old stories with your friends, and he was relating it to C-3PO, telling the story to the Ewoks of how they got there. And he said something I never thought about before. Um, according to Kevin Smith, his interpretation, and I never got this, was that C-3PO was telling the story while all the sound effects were being done by R2-D2. I was just wondering where, where your guys' thoughts were on that and whether that's your opinion, too, because I always thought all of the sound effects were done by C-3PO. That's very interesting. Um, I always assumed that the effects were being done by 3PO as well because he's really gesturing, like especially when he's talking about the Death Star battle and he's... But, well, Jim, what do you think? Leave it to Kevin Smith. <laughs> Throwing out there something that, yeah, I never considered either. Obviously, Jason, because of the fact that you mentioned, it was very much in sync with the way he was telling the story. So either R2 and 3PO worked out a whole routine. <laughs> it, it, it'd be like Smuggler's Gambit. Right, where- yeah. <laughs> there it circles back. Yeah. You know, R two would be firing off the sound effects instead of me. Right. So, um, you know, I don't like this idea of my job becoming automated. <laughs> but no, I, I had always assumed that three PO was the one providing not only the narrative, but he was actually providing the sound effects as well. As a matter of fact, we have that clip from Return of the Jedi. Princess Leia, what's it? What about R two? Boss. Yes, R2, I was just coming to that. Toronto gosh. Master Luke at Chimney Chudu. Uta Millennium Falcon at Chimney Cloud City. What's Nutch Vader? Han Solo. Tikolo Carbon. Wounded Kachnab. Gubu Salak. Oh. Haun. Kini Chatu Tomo Manet. <laughs> I'm sitting there doing the uh, the whole like uh, you know the whole like deaf. You were doing the three PO, the three PO pantomime as right. we were listening to it. Yes, which further accentuates his story and the fact that he was the one actually doing. I think he was. I mean, what he, you don't, what you don't realize even even interrupts him at one point. You know, <laughs> yeah. So um, they weren't in sync. And you know what is an amazing coincidence is we were talking about this new issue of Star Wars Insider, the uh, August-September 2013 edition with Mark Hamill on the front cover. 
Well, we have something here on page 72, Campfire Stories, classic moment from Return of the Jedi. And it's that actual scene that we're talking about right now. And they have an excerpt from the script, the 1983 script, where it says, 3PO is in the midst of a long animated speech in the Ewok's squeaky native tongue. The Ewoks listen carefully and occasionally mutter comments to each other. 3PO points several times at the rebel group and pantomimes a short history of the galactic civil war, mimicking the explosion and rocket sounds and imitating Imperial walkers. So there you have it right from the script itself. Anyone could pick up a copy of Star Wars Insider and uh, see it for themselves. So what do you think of that, Silent Bob? Well, just you know, just listening to the clip as you just played it, it you know, the the sounds have the same type of filter that C three PO has on his regular voice. So I never did think otherwise. It was always C three PO because the sound effects sounded like they were coming from his robotic uh, speaker or whatever. Yeah, right. Uh, and, and and it almost sounds um, uh, to me like it's uh, kind of like the chipmunk version. Yeah, at certain times it is pitched up. Yeah. Yeah, the pitch. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. 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 So, and in a related story, <laughs> we have an email from uh, Ian Savage, who is watching Return of the Jedi for the 500th time this week. And he noticed what he believes to be a never before recognized mess up in the film. Specifically, I'll go to Ian's email. He says, in the scene where the gang is tied up and about to be barbecued, 3PO tells him in Iwakese to let them go or boom, followed by a scene of Wicket hugging another Ewok. In the background, there is another Ewok walking by. It looks as if the actor is not wearing their mask. I can make out what looks to be a chin, neck, and blue shirt underneath. He doesn't know if he's imagining things in his head, but he came to us for help. And so I heard Ian's cry for help, and I went back and looked at my Blu-ray of Return of the Jedi. I queued it up to 1 hour, 14 minutes, and 25 seconds to that sequence where Wicked is hugging another Ewok. And you see an actor walking behind them with the Ewok body the bodysuit on, but you do see what appears to be a human chin and it's cut off by the top of the screen. Could this be a mess up? Did they think we wouldn't notice it? Star Wars has a history with this. If you look at A New Hope, at the sequence where the Jawas are selling R2 and 3PO to Owen and Luke, as Luke walks away from the Sandcrawler with 3PO, and he's turning around looking for R5-D4 to come along with them, you see an adult human wearing Jawa robes on his knees with his forearms and hands fully exposed. So there is a history of this sort of thing happening in Star Wars. Right, right. Now, with the original Star Wars Episode Four, we typically write that off because, let's face it, that film was shot on a very restrictive budget. And the, the stuff they captured out in Tatooine on the Tunisian desert, you couldn't just simply go back for reshoots. Lucas had to deal with the material he had to build that film. 
And through the genius work of him and his fellow editors, his wife Marcia and uh, uh, Phil Hirsch, I believe the uh, other editor is, um, they were able to piece together what has become a cinema classic. Thus giving George the idea that he can direct films in the editing suite, <laughs> which we saw him maybe abuse a little bit in the digital age with the prequels. However, in this case, you're dealing with a situation, Return of the Jedi, a film with a relatively large budget for the early 80s, a film that could afford to easily reshoot two Ewoks hugging each other. Yet they did settle on this one shot, and I invite Rebel Force Radio listeners to queue up your Return of the Jedi Blu-ray to 1 hour, 14 minutes, and 25 seconds, and you will spot in the upper left-hand corner of the screen when Wicket hugs another Ewok, you will see an Ewok body going from left to right at the top of the screen that appears to be headless. He has a human chin and a blue undershirt. We've got to watch it quick. It's a freeze frame moment. He might be wearing that blue harvest shirt. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, a, you know what? It, it does look like it's a gaff. Yeah. It does look like a, it's a gaff. And something I've never noticed. I've never noticed in, in every time I've watched Return of the Jedi. Maybe it's the dawn of the Blu-ray that makes these sort of things viewable by us fans. But... Uh, that's something I've never noticed before. No. Star Wars film flubs. And it's Checking cool. Out. It's cool that they left it in there. <laughs> you think it's I think cool. it's cool. You know, it's it's one of those things. They could have fixed it digitally, just like, you know, uh, a new hope and whatnot, but it's cool that it's in there. Oh, you're talking about they left it in there for the Blu-ray. That's right. In the special edition. Yeah, because, you know, they go in frame by frame yeah, to, right, to fix right. everything. And, you know, and it could be that, that Ewok discovered the power of the, sh- the the razor at that point, you know. <laughs> you know, we know that when, you know, little baby Ewoks have little, you know, have the, you know, the chins that kind of look like, uh, you know, they kind of look like trolls and, you know, kind of. All right. Somebody customize an Ewok <laughs> with a Cupid doll head. That's what we're looking at here. Exactly. Oh. Oh. Monchi cheese, whatever they're called. Monchi cheese. Monchi cheese, right. Oh, way up in the trees live the Munchy Cheese. It's about as good as the uh, Ewok animated series theme song. Ewoks. Hey, big thanks to our sponsors this week, DorksideToys.com. Check them out at DorksideToys.com. And, of course, Audible.com. Check out that John Jackson Miller novel when it comes out next week. You can get it for free. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash RFR. If you'd like to play with us in between shows, you can do so. That's show at rebelforceradio.com. Show at rebelforceradio.com. Voicemail line. If you wish to leave us said, 708-320-1737. That's 708-320-1RFR. Follow us on the Twitter at Rebel Force Radio at Jimmy Mac Radio. 
at Jason Swank. Also, the Facebook page. What a fun and knowledgeable group of Star Wars fans. You won't find a better class of people anywhere. It's the opposite of scum and villainy. It's our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Radio. Great, great stories you won't find anywhere else. And wonderful commentary by a great group of folks. iTunes is a great place to download and subscribe Rebel Force Radio podcasts. It's also a great place to review them. We appreciate those so much. Only one rule. <laughs> and the official website, rebelforceradio.com. We are part of the Shot Glass Digital Network. You can check out Rebel Force Radio as well as all the other programming at shotglassdigital.com. That includes Boncast, Night Remarks Radio, ADHD was Blackhawk Talk, and a whole lot more. More rumors, I'm sure, coming next week. And we'll be here to break them all down for you. I want to thank Al John for joining us. Al John, great to have you with us. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on the show. And just remind folks where they can hear more from you. Absolutely. At Jedi Mouseketeer on Twitter and at uh, Sorcerer Radio at srsounds.com. All Disney music all day long. That's going to do it for us. We'll see you next time, guys. Love you all so much. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember, the Force will be with you. Always.